Today we are going to have a Thanksgiving message based upon the dedication that Solomon made when they dedicated the temple in Jerusalem. And this starts in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 14. 1 Kings 8 and verse 14, and the occasion is the dedication of the temple in Jerusalem. That dedication was a big deal. I mean, it was thousands and thousands of people there. And the king, his name was Solomon. Solomon was the son of David. It's very ironic that Solomon would become the king. You know, God said to David that uh, his son would build the temple, but uh, it was very strange that it would be Solomon. Uh, remember, Solomon's mother was Bathsheba, and their marriage, uh, the marriage of David and Bathsheba, was anything but an ideal arrangement. It was a situation where it was created, their being together was created out of sin, and uh, the first child they had was actually uh, taken to heaven because that child was, it died. It didn't, it got sick and died as, a, as an infant. But God ended up blessing Bathsheba and David and turning what was a bad situation into a good situation and allowing their second son, Solomon, to be the king. And boy, what a king he was. Not a perfect man, but certainly a man who had great gifts and abilities and early on showed great promise. And that's why we're going to read his dedication, because I think that his dedication teaches us a proper attitude to have towards God and also gives us direction in how to deal with the negative things that happen as a result of sin in the world. So we, we begin here, and as I go through, I'm not reading the whole dedication at once. I'm going to read, then we're going to talk about it, and then I'm going to read again. So that way we'll just proceed through it. So we'll start in 1 Kings 8, 14. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to my father David and with his hand has fulfilled it, saying, since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. So Solomon's dedication, it first contains here a blessing and a blessing that Solomon the king made to the whole assembly. I would like to see every nation on earth led by people like Solomon. I would, I would love it if our leaders and, and leaders of other nations would gather the people together on a holiday and say, I bless you in the name of the Lord. He blesses the people. He blesses them. In the Bible, it speaks about Jesus blessing the meal, blessing the bread, and giving thanks. To give thanks to God and to bless people is something that's positive and I think needed. Too many people today, they have nothing but negativity to give to other people. There are leaders in this world who are dictators, whose only use they have of the people is the use of the people. They don't have any care or real genuine love or concern for the people. 
They are there only to serve them, and therefore they have no need to bless the people whatsoever. But God here raised up Solomon, and he blessed the people. He blessed the whole assembly. He gave a blessing. And what is Thanksgiving if it's not a blessing that we share over every one of us? We want to be blessed. We want to bless. We want to be people who are reminding ourselves of God's blessing, and so we want to be reflectors of that blessing to other people. So if God blesses us, let us bless other people. Let us make sure that we include the entire congregation, not just some. There were rich people and there were poor people in that congregation that day. There were people who were sick and there were people who were healthy. There were old people and young people. There were men, there were women, and there were children. And yet it says that he blessed the whole assembly of Israel. He took it not for granted, but rather verbalized a blessing on the people. He doesn't just have something that was in his heart that he thought. It wasn't a good thought. It was a good statement and a real prayer that he gave for the people of Israel. He blessed the entire assembly. And so in our lives, we need to make sure that we are a blessing to all those who are in our congregation, to all those who are the people of God, whoever they may be, and pray that God would bless them richly. Another thing, the second blessing he proclaimed is in verse number 15. He said, he blessed be the Lord God of Israel. So we don't often think about God receiving a blessing, but God wants to be a blessing and be blessed. He wants to enjoy the fellowship that we have with him. And so when Solomon gave this blessing, he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He blessed the people. He blessed God. He wanted God to get the glory. He wanted God to see the people because the people made a priority of honoring God at the dedication of the temple that had just been built. And this blessing was intended to honor God, to give him thanks, and to make sure that he was appreciated. There's something about appreciation, isn't there? If you don't value appreciation, why don't you just go write a $1,000 check to someone, give it to them, and, and then they don't give you any thanks whatsoever. See if that makes you feel good. Uh, what if they just took that money and they, they just you know, did something bad with it and, and didn't even look at you, just went on their way like it was nothing? The thing I have to say is that appreciation is a blessing itself. It is something that people enjoy having. And so does God. So Solomon blessed God. He honored God and he wanted God to be appreciated because of what God had done. The third thing that Solomon did here is he recognized the Lord's endorsement of his father David over any particular city or place. Notice how he says here in verses 16 through 19, since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house. You see, God didn't say, okay, I'm going to pick this town. No, I like this location. You know, we are obsessed with a good location. They used to say location, 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 right? It's about the value of real estate. 
So when God was going to build this temple and bless this temple, he didn't go around saying, I think this is the perfect site, or I think that's the perfect site. He didn't choose any particular city. Rather, God was more concerned with a person, a person who had chosen to honor him. He wanted to honor the request of one of his followers. And that man happened to be King David. And notice he says, he didn't choose any of the tribes of Israel or any of the cities because of them being the tribe or a city or because they had done something special. Instead, he said, uh, I chose David to be over my people Israel. So it was David who was of all the people of Israel in his day was the one person who, though he was not a priest, he did not uh, was not a Levite, he was a godly teenage boy who loved God. He loved God. And ultimately, if you want to know what's the most important thing to do, it's loving God and giving God attention. And David did this. Did he have weaknesses like other men? Absolutely. More than many, less than others. But he was a godly man in the sense that he loved God. He loved God. And I don't think any other king in the Bible other than Jesus loved God more. And so, in fact, David loved God a lot more than Solomon, who's given this dedication. So the, the Lord chose not a place, but a person through whom that person would have the desire to build the temple. And it just happened to be that since Jerusalem was the city, that David chose to be the capital, Jerusalem became the place where the temple would be built. Verse 17, now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son, who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So we know that the Lord blessed the idea of this temple. He blessed the idea of building this big building where people could worship God. But David was not a perfect man, for sure, and he was a man of war. And God did not want a man of war to be building this temple. He wanted a man of peace. So he allowed David to do all the preparation work and to do the plans and, and to sign the contracts and get everything in order so that his son one day would build this temple. In life, uh, you may have some dream, you may have something that you wanna do with your life and it's on your heart and you really wanna do it, but God may put a roadblock and say, no, it's not for you. But it's a good thing that you're thinking about, but it's gonna be for somebody else. Don't fret over that. Like I said, David was a godly man. He gets higher praise than any of the other kings in the, the Bible, as far as the, the ones that were not Jesus. And therefore, he, he accepted that God wanted somebody else to build it. And so Solomon was the man. And, and so in Solomon's case, he recognizes that the Lord 
actually fulfilled his promise. That's the fourth thing that we see here in verses 20 and 21. So the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke. And I have filled the position of my father, David, and sit on the throne of Israel. How many of you had parents? All of you. What were their dreams in life? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever had those conversations with your parents? Did you ever have those conversations? What do they want to do in life? You'll find that many, many parents never achieved what they might have wanted to achieve. And they might feel bad and bitter about it. And yet, what I want you and me to think about is that our parents may not have lived to do all that they wanted to do. But does that mean that what they wanted to do was bad? Do you think that they wanted to have a nation the way our nation is now? Do you think that they wanted to pass on a nation that was better than the one they had? I believe that you and I, the living, have an obligation to pick up the flag and carry it forward, the fallen flags of our forefathers. We have an obligation like Solomon to take the dreams of people who loved God and make them happen in our day according to God's blessing. And Solomon did this. What if Solomon had just been a completely selfish human being? What if he had just said, I'm king now, I do whatever I want to do? Now, you know the story of Solomon. You know what, he, what God gave to him. God gave to him in a dream a, a, and, and, and basically said to Solomon, what do you want? I mean, really, what do you want? And you can have anything you want. And yet Solomon didn't ask for the death of his enemies, didn't ask for long life, didn't ask for great riches. He asked for wisdom. He wanted God to help him rule the people because he, he was intimidated by the job. And God was impressed with Solomon, young Solomon. And Solomon was given not only wisdom, but he was given all those other things. So he had security. He was the most powerful king of his day. Uh, he had alliances with almost every nation that was within uh, any distance of Israel. He had peace. He didn't have to fight a bunch of wars. He had prosperity. If you look at the amount of gold that he had delivered to him every year, it was in the hundreds of millions of dollars in worth that he was just gaining every single year. That was amazing. He had chariots and horses. And, and if you know anything about uh, Israel, you know that it's very expensive to feed horses when you don't have that much grass. And yet, they were able to do it. He was able to get these horses fed. He had wealth that were, um, was amazing. He had wisdom. He wrote the entire, or almost the entire book of Proverbs. Uh, very wise man, the smartest man that lived at that time. So God gave him all these things because he was humble enough to ask God for wisdom but I think that God respected the fact that Solomon honored his dad. He honored David, his father. He kept the wishes of his father to do something good. And so should we try to keep the best wishes of those who died or have gone on before us. 
and say, if my parents couldn't do it, maybe I can with God's help. And Solomon was appreciating God because he says in verse 29, the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke. He didn't say, I've did it. He didn't say, I was the one who accomplished this, but rather, you did it, Lord. You gave this to us. And I love the fact that he didn't take credit for his own ingenuity. He didn't say, I, I want my name listed on the foundation stone or anything like that. Rather, he said, it is the Lord who kept his word. And, and, and the Lord promised, and therefore, the Lord gave what he promised. In verse number 21, we also see Solomon recognizing the Lord's fulfillment. And he says, in the temple, he says, there I have made a place for the ark in which the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of uh, the land of Egypt. So the ark of the covenant, a, a box about the size of this uh, table in front of the podium was a big box but it was very important because it was the spiritual center of God's work in the days of the Old Testament. And verse number 22, we read also the recognition of the Lord's excellence and greatness. Notice how he says in verse 22, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. So he turns from the people, he turns to the altar. He turns to the Lord and he lifts his hands to heaven to praise God. And he says in verse 23, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant, David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. So he gives God the credit. He gives God the entire praise for what is happening on the day of dedication of this temple. And it is an amazing statement because here he is, instead of lifting himself up, he humbles himself. He lifts his hands to heaven to honor the Lord. Now, this prayer of dedication is not only a prayer to recognize the good things God has done, but it's also a prayer to ask God for something. A lot of times in Thanksgiving season, we do thank God. We may thank God for our prayers. Or we thank God for our health or we thank God for our family. We thank God for a lot of things. But I want you this Thanksgiving to not only thank God, I want you to think of thanking God and then asking him for some things. Because that's what Solomon does. He takes the time here to, to ask God to do something for a lot of different people. And I believe that we should ask God to help us as well. So we start looking at the supplications that he makes to the Lord here in verse number 25 and following. We notice here in verse 25, Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David my father, saying, You shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me 
as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant, David, my father. But uh, I'll read the next verse in a second. So one of the prayers that Solomon makes here is he says, God, keep your promises. Now that's a two-edged prayer because on one hand, God promises to bless those who obey. So if you obey, that's a good promise that God keeps. But there's also the prayer of punishment when we don't obey, and that's a promise he keeps as well. So we have to think about those things in our lives because Solomon knows that we as a people, we need God's favor when we obey him, but we need his correction when we don't. And he is well aware of this. Um, and in verse number 27, Solomon's also aware of the fact that God doesn't even need a building for people to worship in. Notice in verse 27, Solomon says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Some people think that the people of the Old Testament were superstitious. They put too much faith in that building, the temple. But Solomon, on the very first day that that temple was dedicated, admitted that there's nothing magic about that building. That that, that building is so small, not only does the building not really hold God, but the heaven of heavens could not hold God. That's how great God really is. And too many times we have a wrong idea of God and how big he truly is. We have a mistaken view of who he is. I heard a story about a, a, a boy uh, who was a cowboy boy. I mean, he was, uh, he was out in Texas. He went to Sunday school. He dressed like a cowboy, had a cowboy hat. And uh, the, the preacher asked the little boy, what do you think Jesus did for a living? And the little boy said, well, Jesus was a cowboy. How do you know that, the preacher said. He says, well, it said that he had a lot of pair of bulls. So uh, think about that for a second. He had a pair of bulls. Jesus did speak in parables, though, didn't he? And Jesus is truly the great shepherd of the flock. And he can't be contained anywhere in the heavens. He's so great. So Solomon knew this. Now in verse 28 and following, Solomon asked God to hear some prayers. And I believe we need to, at this Thanksgiving season, we need God to hear our prayers. And look what he asked. He says, yet regard the prayer of your servant. Solomon was a great king and he calls himself a servant. But he says, regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication. Oh, Lord, my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today. Solomon is one man. He's praying for himself and his people. He is representing God in a humble manner. And he's saying, please, God, hear my prayer. And in verse 29, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day toward the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. So what he is saying is very simple. He said, Lord, we're dedicating this building. 
It's going to be a place where we do want your presence and we want everybody who directs a prayer toward the God who's in this place to be heard night and day, 24 hours a day. It doesn't matter. Now that's very important because we don't want to have a God who only answers on a certain day of the week. We don't want to have a God who has office hours. We want a God who, when we call upon him, helps us now. And that's what Solomon says. God, be available to your people who have faith in you, and may they turn to you night or day, it doesn't matter. Will you please have your eyes open toward this temple so that you'll see the prayers that are coming in and you'll see the people's prayers coming in. It's very important for the prayers to be dedicated to the temple because that's where God was and that they God would see it at all times. I want God to hear my prayer at four o'clock in the morning if I'm praying. I want God to hear my prayer if I'm at the hospital or if I'm at work or if I'm in an accident or if I'm almost in an accident. I want God to hear me all the time. Verse number 30, Solomon says something that is going to be a theme of his prayer. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear forgive. Whoa, forgive. There's a theme throughout prayer and that one of those, you cannot go to God without asking him to forgive you and I can't either. Jesus said every day, pray, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is a daily struggle. And Solomon's going to go into this, but he says, when they pray, forgive. Thank God that he forgives. He's a forgiving God. Solomon knew this, and he gives us a lot more explanation in the next few verses. Verse 31, when anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. Now, you might not think that this is anything important, but it's very important because what Solomon's praying here is he said, Lord, when people, your people sin, please forgive them. But also the oppressors, the unrepentant, the people who will not ask for forgiveness, the people that go around and they continue to harm, may they come to justice. We don't pray that very much, do we? We need to pray that too so that those who are truly repentant will be forgiven. But the unrepentant, may they come to justice. Solomon knew what he was talking about here. But there are other issues involved in his prayer. Look in verse 33. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple. Notice that some days the people of Israel will be defeated. They won't win every battle. They will lose, and it will be because of their sin. Would you please, God, have them turn to you? Because in the very next verse, verse 
34, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. It's not a matter of if, but when. He knew people. He understood people. He knew the cycle of life. He knew that there would be a time when the people would not endure sound teachings and they would do wrong and God would deliver them over to their enemies. And so he says, well, when they repent, bring them back to their land. Verse 35, when the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflicted them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants. So when they are defeated, forgive them when they repent. When they have drought, forgive them when they repent. And look, furthermore, he says, then here in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. And when there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locust or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive. Notice that he just starts listing a whole lot of troubles, famine, pestilence, being besieged by enemies. He says if any one or all of them, doesn't matter, let them turn to the God of this place and may they have forgiveness. Do you think God wants to forgive? Absolutely. But does God want us to desire it ourselves? Absolutely. And so he says an act in verse 39 and give to everyone according to all his ways whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. This is not just a legalism. This is not God wanting us to make the outside look good while the inside's still corrupt. He wants us on the inside to be right with him. He wants us to be forgiven, but he will save us out of almost out of any trouble provided that our heart is right with him. In verse 40, the purpose of forgiveness is that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. I really especially like Solomon here in verses 41 through 43, as we get closer to the end of his dedication. He says, moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel. Now, I believe that that probably means most every one of us. I believe that every one of us kind of fit into that category. And notice how he says, I want you not only to answer the prayer of your people, but the people of any people. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Whoever they are on planet Earth, it says, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this temple, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built 
is called by your name. I love that Solomon says this is not just for us. It's for the whole world, that everybody who prays to the God of Israel, to the God that was dwelling in that temple, they shall have their prayers answered as well. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to even be from any of the tribes. You can be anyone so long as you believe in the Lord God of Israel. Now, that's before the New Testament even. I believe God today wants us to understand that all people are welcome to pray today. Now, he finishes up in verses 44 through 53. He says, when your people go out to battle against their enemy, and there always will be wars as long as you have a nation, whatever you send them, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have chosen and the temple which I built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. When you have to fight, and it's a good cause, pray to the God of Israel. And when they sin against you, again, he gets back to this, but notice what he says in verse 46. For there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them. Notice Solomon says, every one of us are sinners. So when they sin against you, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy, far or near, Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong, we have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart, with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions, which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you. For you separated them from among the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. And so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord that he arose from before the altar of the Lord from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. See, at some point when Solomon was praying, he was standing. But at some point during that prayer, he got on his knees and he asked God for all these things. So how does that relate to us and our thanksgiving? Well, there's some changes that have happened. We don't, we don't have to pray toward Jerusalem anymore. There's no temple there in Jerusalem today, but there is the same spirit who was there. And that spirit, his spirit is with us if you're a believer. And you have direct access to the same God who was in that temple. And I believe just like Solomon, that we, when we are losing battles in our world, 
Maybe that's God's little signal. Maybe we need to repent and change. Maybe we need to spread the good news of Jesus more. More people need to know and repent. Because I think that God is a God who hears our prayers. And I think that Solomon asked the favor of the Lord, and I think God is still answering that favor for those that are Jewish and those who are not. If we trust him with all of our hearts, and Jesus is the one who ultimately is the high priest who has perfected for himself the best sacrifice that could happen, which was his own body. And he died and was risen from the dead for our sake. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank you like Solomon. We know, Lord, that he dedicated the temple and it was a great work. But Lord, you've allowed yourself to be in the hearts of believers and in the bodies of believers. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you would hear from heaven as we pray for our nation, pray for our churches, pray for our communities, and pray that you would forgive our sins and restore us to a place where we have the blessings of liberty that won't be taken for granted or misused but instead we'll be protecting the innocent and the weak and lifting up the fallen in our own day. For we pray it in Jesus' name and amen.